the Lord, is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. He shall deliver me from the snare, and hide me from the deadly pestilence. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. One thousand may fall at my right hand, ten thousand at my right side, but I shall not be moved. I shall look with my own eyes upon the recompense of the wicked, while no plague comes near my tent. I shall tread upon the lion, and trample the serpent underfoot, for he will answer me when I call to him. I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. This is completely, utterly mad. You're gone! That's worth having. Like, <laughs> you really okay? You yeah. just said to me, yeah. The long ending of Mark's gospel is real. Right. And in, in terms of hills I'll die on, like there aren't a lot that are outside of the catechism, but that might be one of them. Right. So what is what is your primary argument for My this? My primary argument is that usually, um, you know, you can, you, can, you can say, oh, uh, this ending is present in this text. This ending is present in that text. Um, the issue is about whether or not we accept the canons of modern textual criticism per se, and then work within that framework. Yeah, you got to define canons of modern canons, textual criticism. Those would be basic rules, basic rules for huh? figuring out what goes where mm-hmm. in the Bible. And um, I do not believe that the vast majority of manuscripts, uh, which is, you know, what <laughs> what people do when they want to, like, sideline a majority is they act like it's just one option among many. Mm-hmm. So the vast majority of manuscripts display all 20 verses of Mark 16. Mm -hmm. The real question is, why is that the case in history? And modern textual criticism assumes that it's kind of irrelevant. And because there are older manuscripts than that vast majority, Mm -hmm. single manuscripts that don't contain the long ending, Mm -hmm. um, therefore it's not original. But isn't the idea then that the, the long ending would have been added at a certain time after which all these many copies are then made, and that's why you have a majority, because the copies just proliferated. Right. The other thing I could say, see, I could just alternatively construct it as uh, those are deficient, and the reason that they survived in that shape is because they are mutilated, you know, novelties. Mm. Uh, the the ones that are the, the shorter ending. only go 16, 1 through 8. Okay. Huh. Why, n- why not? You know, <laughs> so because for me, it's always been I mean, like all of the details about textual criticism, yeah. st- which just again to define it one more time, okay. studying the copies to understand which copies are authentic and which are not because there are divergences right. in all these copies. Right. And there's a science to this. And it's yeah. really quite accurate. Many of them very theory. minor. Many yeah, of them very absolutely. minor. But this is a case where the presence or absence of text that pretty much everybody has understood to be the Bible mm-hmm. for ever. Well, and there are there are two of these major type spaces, right? Yeah. John eight being the other one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the woman caught in adultery. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, which we can go off on that one too. Uh, what is the textual critical side of it? Yeah. Sure. To me, that's just like ammo in the pocket. Right. But what opened it, in my head at least, was looking at Mark as distinct from Matthew yeah. and seeing Mark's Mark's agendas. Yeah. And then combine that with the Greek of this longer ending, and you're probably better at this than me now, mm-hmm. although there, once upon a time it was not the case. Um uh, the Greek just reads so differently to differently. me. It's like it's a different century of writing, and that is kind of the argument. So, yeah. Well, okay. So what's funny about okay? Let me let me just address those, and then. But yeah. I have like another thing that I want to say about this because I think that a lot of issues where Lutherans end up uh, making each other angry is because of thoughtless appropriation by one or more parties of someone else's framework for thinking about something. Sure. So just bookmark that. So in response to the Greek thing, yes, the Greek is more complicated, but I don't, I never buy, oh, this Greek is too much like this or that. Because right. focusing on Paul, that's the primary argument that higher critics have right. against lots of Paul's letters in the New Testament. Right, it doesn't write the same way as over there. Yeah, and, and blah, I don't blah, blah. buy that. And I'm also somebody who talks for a living, and I know that I talk very differently right. than I write. And I talk differently in class than not in class. But would you do that in the last eight verses of your magnum opus I don't know. writing? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Like, y- these are all arguments from probability. Sure. Yeah. And so I think the deeper underlying issue to my mind is thinking that because a bunch of people now decided that this is a problem, hmm. we will just accept that framework. So now I have to apologize for my hmm. traditional position. Okay. Or I just have to accept that they're right because I can. There's also a kind of, and this involves the Missouri Senate insularity thing uh, that we talked about last time, is that part of the insularity is also what I think of as, I see this also with like Reinhold Niebuhr, which Missouri Senate people love to talk about, is this kind of immigrant anxiety that you want other people to think that you are respectable and intelligent. Yeah, you want to fit in. You want to fit in. And so any place that, that if you're a Missouri Synod, uh, you know, scholar, pastor, whatever, you can agree with a higher critic or something like that. You're going to do that because that person has social and intellectual prestige that you don't enjoy. And on some level, you have internalized sort of their ideas that you are you are an ignorant fundamentalist. Um, you're kind of you have hickish ideas about things. None of that may be true. It may have. They they may not have actually measured your IQ or read anything that you wrote. Right. But because you've internalized their kind of discourse about this is what's true, this is how you can tell what's true, it's promulgated by these publishing houses with people from degrees from these universities, you're always on the back foot. Right. And uh, I just think that is such a position of weakness. My, my, my concern is not even... Uh, that we're debating this, whatever, we can debate it, I don't care. My concern is that when we address the culture, we let them dictate the terms first, and then we fight with each other (laughs) on the culture's terms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. While failing to talk about how we will respond to whatever the culture is saying so that we can effectively proclaim Christ. That's yeah. my that's that's yeah. what bothers me. Yeah, I'm with you on it though. I I I have a similar complaint and actually I want to come back to that idea from a, a side angle of something. But I want you to talk about Mark's theme because to me that that ultimately is the thing. Um Mark's gospel is so different mm-hmm. than the others, but it doesn't feel that way because of the history of understanding it mm-hmm. and its treatment as sort of 
you know, second Matthew. You know? Right. And, yeah. And and it was uh, James Veltz uh, not advocating per se for the for the ending, just advocating take Mark at face value right. and let him be Mark. Right. Just just open that book to me. But then as that happened, I started to see what he was doing that was distinct from Matthew. Yeah. It's like the long ending just tries to shove Matthew on the back end of, of Mark in terms of his completion, uh, as opposed to this very confusing, definitely uh, very dark yeah. uh, gospel noir ending okay. that, man, I just— And that's his term. Yeah, And the reason we're it talking is. about this is because when we started recording, I was just looking at those volumes. And, okay, my, my issue with that is with a background in literature, mm. I have seen a variety of people have their their one best way of analyzing a text. Mm-hmm. This applies to Charles Dickens. This sure. applies to Chaucer. They are powerful, powerful teachers talking about, you know, this is this guy's reading of the Odyssey, okay? Mm. I am skeptical that any one teacher teaching any text has an exhaustive understanding such mm-hmm. that he can exclude parts of the text mm-hmm. that are traditionally there from it because of his reading, however powerful his reading is. Okay. I'm with you. Okay. Unless that reading is you know, statistically and not the, and the issue, really there. The issue with gospel noir is, one, he's not Dashiell Hammett. Uh, or Raymond Chandler. You're th- over my head there, man. And, and so, well, that's 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 where noir comes from. Got it. Okay. Cool. Those are detective stories. It's Southern California. You got to know. I know. You gotta, LA. You got to get into it. Okay. So, um, it the genre of the Gospels is gospel, which is most similar to an ancient biography, mm-hmm. and the idea that 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 a biography would have vastly different endings is much more incredible. If you know the genre, then that they would all have pretty similar endings. The details are vastly different. Mm-hmm. Um, the way that they talk about them is different because one historian will evaluate a Roman emperor, say, very differently from another one. But they're not going to have the, right. the very ending of the thing right. very different. And so that's right. why the long ending makes sense as part of the gospel's genre. I see that it makes sense. Yeah. Except for that it doesn't make sense <laughs> in that gospel. I don't know. What do you do with snake handling? How do you handle that one now? Well, the thing about the long ending is that the stuff that's in the long ending uh, all occurs in acts. Yes. Yes. So, Which uh, to me is an argument not in its favor for being kept, but as if I'm a monk making something up in the Middle Ages, that's what I'm going to do. Right. Uh, what's yeah. funny? Well, uh, what's also funny about this is that this is kind of Veltz's hobby horse. Great, mm-hmm. fine, whatever. Nobody is riding a hobby horse, which is much more evident in ancient texts, which is that Hebrews is pretty much always bound with Paul. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> so you, are you for Pauline authorship? Of- I mean, yeah, sure. I mean, like certainly I, the early church thought that. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not dogmatic about it. Yeah, but uh, but what is the primary argument against that by modern people who pretty much all doubt Pauline authorship? Huh. It's that oh well, it doesn't sound. Oh, this is not like Paul. So my main argument is he doesn't say he's Paul. Like everything yeah. else, he's well, like, "Hey, Hebrews, I'm Paul." Hebrews is very obviously a sermon. Yeah, I call that a modern argument too, though, don't you think? Uh, the 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 evidence for it being a sermon is total lack of introduction. It's not written as a letter. Yeah, it yeah. Has, it doesn't have letter characteristics. God. And I the, just have trouble believing they wrote down a sermon. I, I don't. I don't, like someone sat there and copied they did, it? They did that with politician speeches. Okay. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Greeks and Romans. So why aren't there more of them? I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
he also is vague. So he'll say it is written somewhere. I love it. So it's, right, so it's got these, <laughs> it's got these evidences that the guy is just, he's going, you know, yeah. he's flowing. Yeah. And he's not yeah. going to stop and go back yeah. and look it up. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I, uh, that's funny. It's totally random shot, but yeah. it's, it's a yeah. Hebrews thing. So in, um, without flesh, my new book coming out in, in February, um, I'm, I'm supposed to pre-order it. That's what I'm, you hearing. should do From that. You might enjoy it. I don't know. Okay. It might not tell you anything you don't already know. <laughs> it's fine. But uh, out of respect to your elders. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, at the front of every uh, chapter, there is a quote from Sasa because it's based on a Sasa essay. And then there's a quote from a father okay. of some kind, Yeah. often Luther, but not always. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and there's a, a quote from the Bible. But whenever I quote from the Bible, I don't say like, you know— Second Kings. Dot, I try to attribute it to the author of the Bible. Yeah. So, like the the one quote from Paul is from Saul of Tarsus. Yeah. Saul of yeah. Tarsus. So the opening page, the first one, is a yeah. quote from Hebrews, and it just says anonymous. Sister, <laughs> <laughs> anonymous. They didn't want me to leave it in there. CPH wanted to put Hebrews. I was no, it's anonymous. We don't know who wrote it. Was, Come on, this is great. Uh, uh, so back back yeah. to Mark, and then we'll we'll leave it behind. Okay. Um, what's the point? Of those verses, then I mean, yeah. it's just to complete the the creedal narrative. Is that is that really like, I, or or to say it a different way, like when we go to Mark sixteen in the second question on baptism in the large catechism, I feel like given the lack of certainty about the text, mm. that's just not the best place to go. When you got First Peter sitting there screaming, well, lack of certainty which no one had prior to the late nineteenth. True, true. Well, is it that that soon? I know Texas Receptus was was there for a long time, but I thought that the modern discovery of manuscripts kind of started sooner than that. Questioning modern that. discovery of manuscripts starts starts earlier. Mass massively variant manuscripts, okay, like Sinaiticus Vaticanus, that's going to date to later 18th into the 19th century, and Texas Receptus, on which Luther's Bible and the King James mm-hmm. are based, is really a very small selection from this broader textual stream that will come to be called the majority text or the Byzantine text family, hmm. but which is the vastly predominant Greek text of the New Testament from early on. So would that include then all those um, those verses that are in KJV that aren't in the Correct. other other right. stuff? Yeah. Right. Right. And do you take each of those one by one or you just would say we should we should advocate all of them are there and we should treat them as if they're real. Okay. I'm not I'm not a textual critic, and this is I'm not I'm not I'm not punting You're on better this. than I am already. Yeah, well, I'm not a textual <laughs> critic, and it's not a punt because I think the my concern is that we're constantly changing the text of the Bible, and this happens this happens even with things where we pick a version like the ESV, hmm. and it is being electronically updated such hmm. that the e- if you bought a Bible back when you bought LSB and you bought like the ESV Bible, really, that goes I didn't with know it, that. That text is not identical to the text that if you're like printing it in your bulletin from the yeah. internet, that's not that's not necessarily exactly the same. Wow! Like the lection, if you have the lectionary books, those are not the same huh. as what you are downloading from whatever Bible Gateway and putting because they're constantly updating it. And right. These are these are minor things, but people notice, and it's stupid. Yeah, it's it's not yeah, relevant. It's needless. It's it's yeah. That's a nicer word. It is. It's at least well. Voice. Stupid me is true, but it's a very broad term. I'm trying to narrow it's, it down. It's, it, it is. <laughs> it, it's also pastorally 
so short-sighted mm-hmm. to constantly change the text. Well, yeah. It's short-sighted to have the ESV and then, yeah. Right. Yeah, we're stuck kind of with it for a moment and then we'll right. – but. And we'll, oh. we'll move on, or they'll go to, like, gender neutrality, and then oh. we'll have a big debate about it. I mean, even the New American Standard is updating and moving to gender neutrality of all things. To- totally the time for it. I mean, you know. Yeah. It's yeah. earth-shattering. So we're just going to stuff sisters throughout the New Testament. The plastic yeah. text yeah. is your concern, right? Yeah. And that's Kaloa's terrifying, scary paper. Yeah, yeah. It, it, now, I'm not trying to pin you on a hole in this, okay. but— it, the best construction I've heard about that Kloa paper, and if you're listening, you don't know, don't worry about it. It's a super inside baseball. Yeah, it is. Um, but it caused a, an uproar. But it seemed to me that that was his his concern. His concern was that we're we're messing with this so much. How is anyone to know which text it is? Right. We shouldn't play this way. Right. And he was doing that in a in a world of scholars amongst whom right. none of them were yeah. LCMS. Right. Does that sound well, like? Well, I think a good, I think. I think that Chloe, Chloe was trying to talk in public about an issue which is barely comprehensible even to other New Testament people who are not textual critics, like mm. myself, mm. not a textual mm. critic, and issued that publicly. I think it was basically like a it, it was basically like a, a, a misreading of his audience mm-hmm. because he presented it at our sister seminary in Germany. And so that's that's going to, that's essentially public within the LCMS. Yeah, right. It's not a it's not a conference paper among other textual critics. It's easily misunderstood. People don't even know that this stuff. They don't even know what's going on right. in textual criticism. Right. But it seemed to me that his main concern was a plastic text, and that we if 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 this is the approach, then that's yeah. what we end up with, and therefore right. we end up without inerrancy. And it got right. taken as oh, therefore there's no inerrancy, and I'm not. I don't know. I've not talked to Chloe. I do not. I do yeah. not think that's what he was trying to say. Right. I think it's it, it's just extremely easy to be misunderstood. And I've I've even found that when I talk about like, um, like the newest textual method is, is uses computing to make decisions hmm. that previously were being made uh, individually mm-hmm. in every case mm-hmm. by some human. Hmm. So it's called coherence based genealogical method. There's a little book on it. You can pick up if you're a pastor. You're interested. Um, that sounds cool to me, though. Given right. what I know about computer learning, they probably computer learning is better at it than we are. Yeah. It's not biased. We think we're not biased, and right. like each individually looking at something right. will make it cleaner, and it's not that so way. So this is this is the big change. If you have like a newer Greek New Testament, hmm. is that Nestle Allen twenty eight, the most recent edition, the Catholic epistles were produced using this method. Hmm. So, for instance, you get in Jude that Jesus brought his people out of Egypt, not the Lord. Ooh. I mean, we should really, translate it that way anyway. It's really the same thing. Uh-huh. Jesus is the Lord, yeah. but explicitly now it's Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's an example, and that's now going to be spreading over the next Nessie Allens to the rest of the New Testament. Okay. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Mark's theme, it didn't quite satisfy me, but. <laughs> that's um, fine. And uh, I, I, I have a. My real horse in the game is John. Yeah. And. Yeah. and uh, my belief that John seven and eight are just destroyed by the insertion of this text. It just takes away the the, the peak of what he's saying uh, on the Temple Mount during the Feast of, of Booths at the high day of the feast, yeah. light of the world. I mean all that, but you have this piece that inserts a whole day in there. Just I don't know. So that, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> and uh, um, I, I, hopefully, my my listening audience is well versed enough. That they're not going to be bothered that we don't take this up. Yeah, well, I'll be with it. Yeah, I should introduce <laughs> you. Um, 
but uh, that they're not going to think we're not. We say the Bible is not true, or that that's what I'm saying. Um, but uh, talking with Pastor Adam Coons, yes, now sir. professor, are you are yes, you officially sir. called a professor at this point? That's correct. You have to finish your something. something? I'm defending my dissertation next week. So you're a prof, but not a doc. Right. Right. And then you'd be a doc after next week, or do you have Correct. to wait a little longer? That's theoretically. Yeah. Assuming it goes well. All doctors are theoretical, in my opinion. <laughs> the, uh, all right. So so you mentioned— um, Doctor, but not a real doctor. Say it that way. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> Don't diagnose me, man. Um, back in the conversation, yeah. the, the idea of worldviews yeah. and as a, as a minority in thought, uh, accepting the the framework of others and then being on the back foot the moment that you do. Right. Uh, I, we've talked about this a little before, but yeah. it, it really strikes with a book I just finished listening to. And, and I um, I went and I picked up – do I have it with me? It's in my car. This guy is the fourth of four books this guy wrote, and he's an economist, and I'm going to lose his name. Um, but uh, I think it's the most famous – It's not uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So it's it's – um, Nicholas Nassim Taleb. Fooled by Randomness is the first one. I just yeah. started reading that one because listening to Skin in the Game, the last one, I'm like, yeah. I got to read this guy. Yeah, I can't yeah. listen to this guy. And then Black Swan is, I think, the most famous. And then I forget what the one in between is. I, I mean, he's by all means, it's, he's not a prophet. He's not speaking gospel. Yeah, sure. But he's got some really cutting insights yeah. into the way we think as, right. as modern people. And one of the things that he emphasizes in Skin of the Game a lot is this this economic rule he calls it um, that more or less everything will move to uh, every every society every culture every realm of thought will move to absorb and submit to the one who refuses to change their position and that over time yes. by by being a minority even in a one percent two percent if you will not give up your minority your, your idea that makes you a minority yeah. right. everyone else will eventually not only accommodate you right. but gradually adopt it right yeah. and that has been that is the opposite of every christian tactic of the last 200 years that i can see like we we do not hold the line we think right. well we'll just hedge well we'll just hedge right and it, meanwhile islam takes this tactic yeah and they are they're crushing it when it yeah. comes to influence right yeah? yeah um you're familiar with his name yeah. have you read any of his stuff or yeah you... i've read skin in the game okay black swan so what are your thoughts about skin in the game um, so, I mean, like the principle I took for that was don't trust anyone who's talking, but has no skin in the game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, simply don't, don't trust them. And, um, speaking personally, that's proven to be fruitful. Yeah. Um, don't listen to people unless they actually have some kind of stake in what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. If they don't, they're not only ignorant, they may also be simply malicious um, and sort of grifting off whatever game they're pretending to care so about. So can you give about. an example of that? It doesn't have to be personal, but just... Right. Well, when you think about... I mean, people kind of reflexively distrust politicians, mm -hmm. especially in democracies. And I think the reason for that is that in a democracy, politics is its own line of work mm -hmm. rather than a means of service specifically. You can have permanent politicians right. because that person doesn't really necessarily... Like, for instance, like when you're talking about health care, if someone gets elected as a representative, as a U.S. representative, they have wonderful health care for the rest of their lives mm -hmm. and a pension. Mm -hmm. So 
they don't actually have skin in the game when like talking about your health care. Yeah. You who are not poor enough to, you know, just get free health care. I mean, there is socialism in the United States if you're below a certain income right. level. Right. But you're also not wealthy enough to just not worry about it. You know, they they don't actually have any concern for your problem. Yeah. Because they don't need to. Yeah. 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 So you don't have to, you know, be, you know, awful, but you don't also don't have to trust them. There's no reason to. Um, as human beings, they simply don't have a stake in the thing. Yeah. And so the idea as a principle is that anytime anybody has removed themselves from having a stake in the success or failure of, a, of an of endeavor yeah, of right. anything, right. Uh, then not only will they – well, they won't work as hard at it to begin right, with. Right, 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 um, But as a result, they will then tend to be ignorant of the actual circumstances right, to some extent. Right. Uh, and they will prefer solutions that may or may not make a difference for no. you but will make a difference for them. So right. they're always going to be selling you the solution that is even outside of your own game, right? Right. Yeah. And I think the thing that's really insidious in a democratic system, whether it's whether it's a, you know, a national polity or a church or something mm. – the problem with a democratic system is that the person always has to sound publicly as if your interests are his. Mm-hmm. He cannot actually be forthright like a hereditary aristocracy. Right. That he just has his own interests. Right. And you know what those are and he knows what those are and he knows that those are different from yours. In a democracy, he always has to at least pretend right. as if his interests are yours. Huh. And that's what's especially difficult about thinking about public life in any kind of democratic system. Well, about, about – public discourse right because you can't really have a conversation when everyone's trying to look like they're friends with everybody no matter what you can't disagree about ideas if some people hold those ideas and you can't ever challenge them right but the american democracy didn't always work like that i mean no uh, one one thing that we we don't usually talk about either in the missouri senate or in american politics is scale even though when you go back and you read like the american i don't really like the term founding fathers because I don't think you should get credit for setting something up when other people, like, you know, planted the farms and cut the trees. Sure, Those sure. are the actual founders, the settlers. Oh, but, your agrarianism's coming out. But, Love it. But, in, but, I mean, I did move to Indiana. Um, in, in any case, um, the thing that they're most concerned about is the scale of the new nation. Yeah. And um, when I think about, you know, the Missouri Synod and, and actually talking about things that we need to talk about, Scale is is always an issue mm-hmm. because if you have millions of people and you're focused on you know unifying a national group, mm. that is nearly impossible, you know, um, according to our own standards. Our our standards our standards were set up for a group that was small and all personally known to one another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're talking. You, you switched to Missouri Synod from America, but right? Yeah, because the parallels are enormous. Okay, and numerous. Keep going. Uh, well, because the system is set up, I, I mean, I, I know that Walther disclaims that America has an effect, right? And that's fine, but I mean, the parallels, the, the political parallels are natural simply because the system is set up mm. as an elective system with some representation, you know. Um, so, you know, there are, there are people representing congregations at the national, at the synod convention from circuit. Yeah. And, it uh, looks an awful lot like the product of its times. It does, yeah. And um, there's, to some extent, a permanent bureaucracy, but there are a lot of positions that are appointed by any new president. Mm-hmm. So there are parallels in the systems. And when you're dealing with that, um, it's hard within that system 
to achieve the levels of unity that the Missouri Synod aspires to have yeah. in yeah. doctrine and practice simply because of scale. And this is, I mean, this is anyone who was opposed in American history to the Louisiana Purchase, whereby we just like grew the country enormously, hmm. said, we're not going to be able to run this thing that we're trying to do hmm. at that scale. At hmm. that scale, the guy in charge is going to have to come up, have to become a lot more important, the president. Hmm. And that is, in fact, what, what occurred, because you need a more unitary executive to run something huge. Right. Rather than everybody getting together and personally agreeing that they're all on the same page. At a certain scale, that's just not achievable. Yeah, anymore. no, it's not. Yeah. Um, but I guess, I don't know, was it really achievable with, with the 13 initially? I mean, I... Well, they, they, they didn't try that long. And the thing that you're taught in civics class is that, oh, it was such a horrible mess, the Articles of Confederation. Right, right. So they had to, you know, they all, all these guys had to get together. There's a, whole, there's a book, uh, it's an old book now by a guy named Charles Beard that is basically an analysis of skin in the game. Huh. It's called an economic analysis of the American Constitution. And he says he looked through the, essentially the tax and property records of the, quote, founding fathers and said, these guys all happen to financially benefit enormously from the Constitution of 1787 wow. in a way that they couldn't have under the Articles of Confederation. Oh, that's great. So you, you have to know. What I always people, knew Ben had an angle. Yeah. What are people's <laughs> interests? You know, what are their interests in making this move or that move? Yeah. Or, yeah. So. That's fascinating. I love, I, I mean, it's not that important, but your your uh, treatment of the the morality play of the Articles of Confederation, because it's exactly, it's like, well, there was this thing, but it was so terrible. Don't ask awful. questions about it. Right. We have this now, and it's from God. Right. So right. say the Pledge of Allegiance and go get a job. <laughs> go to college and get a job. All right. Right. We'll do it. Yeah, please sign up for next war. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Jeez. <laughs> oh, man, that's all going on right now, too, to some extent. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. So, so I found Skin in the Game as a whole to be incredibly compelling and – uh I don't again, having listened rather than read, I feel like I probably missed some pieces, but he had a way of um not being bothered by disagreement that I really right I really liked right. and whether or not I agreed with him or not I, it's like, man, we need more books that just don't care, you know uh <laughs> you know not bothered by it, but then he yeah. even talked about how yeah. to some extent um he's got skin in the game, but he doesn't because he's got his own form of income now that his writing's right. not connected right. to it. So in some right. ways it's, right. Right. it's right. almost self-condemning. Well, Taleb, I mean, Taleb has, he has insane, I don't know if it's, his Twitter presence is hilarious, maybe not always intentionally, hmm. um, because he is, just asserts and asserts and asserts and asserts. He's not a Missouri Synod Lutheran, but he would make a good one. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And his thing with skin in the game is actually, or his lack thereof at this point, is connected to the black swan thing, which is the idea that you know, until Europeans reached Australia, black swans were unimaginable. And then they got to Australia and black swans are normal. Yeah. And so this is the he he made his money basically uh, doing applied mathematics um, and figuring out how the financial system is going to move. Mm -hmm. um, this showed him that the people that talk about what's going to happen to the financial system don't know what they're look, doing. They don't know what they're doing. And if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't be talking to you. Yeah. They'd yeah. be making money. Yeah. Because right. there's way more money to be made by, you know, running a hedge fund than being on MS on CNBC. Right. So <laughs> it's like, look, like if they're going to, if they're going to talk to you 
uh, you're probably an idiot, and they're slightly less of an idiot because at least they're making money off of your idiocy. So he gets all that, and I, I like I, – I don't agree with everything he does. And he's got this really weird sort of like uh, glorification of Mediterranean peoples. He himself is Lebanese. Yes. Um, and it's kind of weird. But, but you know, at least he's saying something. And yeah. he has ideas. Yeah. And he states them, and you can like them or not. Yeah. And I like that. You can think about it. You can debate it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right. I love – this is totally exactly in that line, but the way that – I've never had any book that I've ever read where someone name-dropped with such like – I don't want to say despising. He wasn't angry about these people. He just basically dismissed them in a moment regardless of any comment or just do name. Not a, right. Just put their name in a sentence and, and like this guy who doesn't ever make sense, and then we'll go on from there. It's totally like not a problem. And I and I I mean he's he's an interesting guy. I think he has like a PhD in finance or something. But because of that, he despises academia as right. a culture right. for its hesitancy to say anything interesting. Right. Which brings me to so we'll just talk about other podcasts and other 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 commentators for now. Eric yeah. Weinstein, you know that guy's name at all? No. He works for I'm going to lose his name. He's more famous than Eric Weinstein. He's the big uh, bad conservative money uh money guy like he's he's the businessman that made all the money like bezos did but um peter Thiel. peter Thiel. so he he works for peter Thiel uh in some sort of capacity but is also a really high-end intellectual okay. and yeah. has, has kind of came into the podcasting circuit joe rogan a couple times oh, okay, yeah. and now he's got his own yeah and it is interesting um uh i'm not sure i mean i know what his agenda is but long and short of it is that his big like um itch he's always scratching is that academia is frozen yeah because it's become the yes men club right no matter what school you're in and so you're getting into these siloed tenured uh, repeat cycle places right. and the result is long term societal knowledge is going to just keep crashing it because drops. no one's really having to engage in thought yeah right um, so that the the academic himself is unable to integrate his knowledge yes Certainly across disciplines, but even sometimes within his own discipline. And he, so he's going to present fragmentation to his students. So what does that do to the LCMS pastor with a seminary education as it comes out? Well, I think that the goal, uh, I mean, s certainly like my own practice is not to segregate theological disciplines. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, we traditionally define theology, if you go and look at, at our pastoral theologies, if you look at Walther, Theology is sort of like what we would describe so something similar as to the practice of medicine. It is a practical aptitude to apply God's word uh, to uh, sinners. Um, and so when we're talking about theology, we cannot speak in the terms that academia as a culture, as its own subculture, gives us. Um, you have to do that as sort of a game with other academics if that's what you want to do. But that's but exactly what we've trained guys to do is to go out and talk with the academic terms to the level that the as one myself, yeah, right. um, I am I am specialized to talk about theology in a very narrow school. OK. And I can assert about it a lot. Right. Right. But then how much does that turn into the congregation just sees me as that specialist who right. will wax on these things from time to time, but who cannot ever attain them? Okay, you know? so, I mean, two sides to that. One side, from the pastor's side, 
certainly as a professor at an LCMS seminary, I don't, I like, I have failed the guy if the guy goes out and feels like he has a bunch of specialized fragmented knowledge, or if he behaves as if he is a kind of specialist similar to an oncologist mm-hmm. who knows a lot about cancer and not a whole lot about, you know, sports injuries. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, we really, uh, pastors are all general practitioners. And so as a professor, I not only have to know how to be a general practitioner, I need to know how to train people to be general practitioners. Even if I do have specialized knowledge about, you know, continuing the analogy, cancer, sports industries, right, right, whatever. Right. So I have this specialized knowledge of Paul, but I, I'm not, I don't, I, I am not thereby, you know, justified. Mm. Um, I mm. have to train people generally to apply God's word. Well, they have to, and this is my concern. Yeah. So. Yeah. It is the integration of our knowledge of God, i.e. theology, integration of our knowledge of God into the lives of modern American Lutherans that I think is the hurdle I keep banging my head against. Because I – in part because I feel like – go back to that previous conversation. No one's talking about it being a problem. Right, right, right. (laughs) Well, because – okay, because the other side of that question. So from my side, I want to be – I want to have integrated God's word into my life on a level. And this is why Luther talks about the things that make a theologian involve both knowledge of God's word, but also prayer mm. and and especially suffering. That's why theologians are not simply made by attendance at certain classes and production of papers. Um, thereby, God's word is integrated into that man's life. From the other side, uh, I don't have control over how my hearers perceive theology as an activity. Theology wants to claim all of life. I don't have control over the fact that when they come to church, this feels like a small sliver of their life. Hmm. Um, What I'm hoping to do in talking to them is to make them understand that I am not, that what we're engaged in, what they're encountering and encountering God's word, forgiveness of sins, Hmm. uh, the real presence of Christ is in fact not only all of life, it's all of eternal life yeah. coming to them directly right there. And then understanding what that means for all the rest of the stuff in life that proclaims itself to be completely separate from that. Right. So to like, to give a concrete example, um, like medical decision-making, mm-hmm. the medical system is not open to the transcendent reality of Christ Hardly in any way. Yeah, sure. Okay. They might be paying some, you know, kind of uh, washed out female Methodist pastor to be the chaplain, quote, to my member in the hospital. Mm. But that's like lip service. They're not even aware of any theological difference. Right. You know, that's all they know about the central reality of life, which is the, the flesh and blood of Christ given for sinners. Okay. My job as their pastor is to make them aware through my presence and my preaching that that central reality of the flesh and blood of Christ given for sinners is true even when they're operating within a system which has no cognizance and, and, and in fact, in some ways, is hostile to that. It's hostile to it. It is working from a worldview that is secular, uh, embedded assumed and to some extent unquestionable and it's working with a language that has redefined a vast majority i would say of our terminology to mean things that we don't mean when we say them so even as you just said you know my preaching yeah 
I mean, I can't think of something that is a worse thing to tell someone you're going to do to them. Yeah. Right. Preach at you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's awful. Right. Right. And yet it's and we're hung on it because well, pre, I, you know, we're preachers, so we're supposed to be. In fact, when people <laughs> ask me, you know, what I am, that's uh, you know, the predictomp. It, it is to me the definition of the office. Yeah, the preaching office. Uh, but I, I, I don't think I should be so married to the word predictomped as a German word that I'm that married to the word preaching as an English word yeah. that I can't go back to the word kerygma as yeah. a Greek word that simply yeah. means to talk about Jesus being alive again yeah. and find a way to tell someone I'm going to do that yeah, right. without having to trap them in my – I'm in my doctor's coat now and you've got cancer so I need right. to preach to you. Yeah. Right? I've got to give you the, 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 the this uh, specialty language. And I'm just torn on this, Adam. I mean, really, because yeah. I love my dogma, and I, yeah. I in no way want to want to move us toward a jargonless world. Yeah. But I'm also uh, just increasingly convinced that no one's. It's not that nobody's hearing us. Nobody's listening because we're speaking gobbledygook to them. This is true, and I, I don't have a solution. I can say what what I have done personally which is to understand that human beings have certain certain things about them that are that are created realities meaning that what i have to talk to about them they already know on some level they need hmm. and if they don't i need to expose the lies that they're telling themselves i don't think of uh, the world apart from christ as secular in the sense of like uh, like a separate sphere mm -hmm. I think of it as either, in the case of other religions, forthrightly trying to present another way to heaven, hmm. to open up the sky, mm -hmm. to open up life, to open up the heart. And I appreciate other religions for being forthright about their opposition. Mm -hmm. Most of what our people deal with in the United States, though, is different, whereby the denial is not that there is another way into heaven. It's that, there, that, it's that the sky is closed. It's as if there were a giant roof over everything and there's nothing up there. Hmm. Or that the heart should be closed. The heart should be satisfied by, you know, superhero movies. Mm -hmm. Hey. You know, I mean, that is, that is, I mean. <laughs> no, the, you're right, though. You know you're what right. I mean? That, yeah. that, that the, heart, the heart will have enough in the activities of consumption and right, self-satisfaction. Right, right, right. The eye is not filled with scene, but we think it is. Yeah. 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 And so to, to, to speak about Christianity as the opening up of certain things, because they think of us as closing down, mm -hmm. which is why they are closed to us. So to speak, I mean, when, when, when Solomon receives the wisdom of God, it's spoken of as the enlargement of heart. Hmm. Or when Jesus preaches to the disciples on the way to Emmaus, it is the opening of minds. Mm -hmm. And so to present what I'm saying, um, it's not really necessarily the specific words. Do they know what the word propitiation means before mm. I teach it to them. I have to teach it to them at some point. It's really the issue of the overall framing of the message. What is the frame for the message that I have to proclaim? And the frame that the, the framing for me talking to people, especially people like I myself once was, is to speak of Christianity as an opening up, an enlargement, a fulfillment, um, a, a shining that was not there before. Well, so enlightenment then. Which is a word we would shy away from normally because of its connotations, and yet uh, – on two different levels. Right. I mean you got the Eastern mystic con yeah, right, connotation. Right, right, you got right. the 18th century liberal right. connotation, and yet – West Coast Enlightenment, East Coast Enlightenment. Yeah, illumination <laughs> I guess would be maybe a little bit different. 
I mean, the, the thing is, and this I'm back on the English trip, but yeah. like there aren't any words that are left that are safe. There aren't any names for our churches we can come up with <laughs> right. that aren't already used by heretics right. somewhere. I, I love the word synod, just personally. <laughs> only if you pronounce it synod. <laughs> yes, synod. Only if you pronounce it synod. <laughs> uh, so at some point, uh, at least in my own, um, I, you know, I use this loosely, sin boldly kind of mentality. It is, you know, at some point, you just kind of have to make a decision and do something. Yeah. Um, I think that we should embrace the words that most directly and immediately impact them, impact people close to where we are. And yeah. so in that regard, like to talk about, like, you're not a Christian, you're not enlightened, like that's going to mean something to somebody yeah, right. really fast if right. you say that, as opposed to, I don't know, what we could say, you're not a Christian, you're, you know, even if we say you're an unbeliever, like, so? Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. But if you if you told somebody that they were, that they are narrow-minded. Mm. Yeah. Who is, you know, busy, like, trying to affirm the very next thing that's coming down the pike. Right. Like, hoping that they're not, quote, on the wrong side of history. Hmm. I mean, you could write a whole book mm. about the wrong side of history and just talk about the second coming. That'd be interesting. <laughs> you know, because because the, the, the Marxist idea— That'd be a good that, fiction that, book. The Marxist idea that history will judge you is a, quote, secularized, I would just say uh, godless— Mm. version of christian eschatology which says there will come a time when what is really true mm. will be revealed and you want to prepare for that time right i mean this is what paul when paul talks to people paul preaches concerning righteousness and self-control mm. and judgment mm. because he's trying to ready them for a time when the meaning of what is going on in their individual lives and history generally will be revealed mm -hmm. when the thoughts of the hearts of all men will be revealed People don't hear that. And what is remarkable is that if you want to make the case that they're closed-minded, it's really not that hard. Hmm. Um, they are closed-minded to whatever they were not dogmatically taught to accept by usually the public school system and media. That's like most people. That was hmm. certainly myself. But it could be other things. Hmm. But it results in a certain narrowness of spirit and of mind uh, that they know is there. They know is there. There's a dogmatism. Is it, it, it is. It is. It, it is. I mean, whatever caricature people have of Missouri Synod Lutherans as narrow-minded, that that is actually with completely different dogmas, the dystopia that we live in. Hmm. It is. It is miserable, and people know it. I mean, hmm. uh, if you deal with people in um, like in, in graduate teaching classes in graduate school, um, uh, not not at the seminary. Um, but at a, at a public university, you know, people are afraid. They're constantly afraid of saying the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. Constantly. Yeah. I just finished watching the, I think it's six part Kevin Hart, um, documentary, which I think his own, uh, company produced it, which is, <laughs> it, it's amazing it, if that's the case, which I think it is yeah. like they started producing it as part of a bigger goal to, to get his uh, production company kind of in, in the know and they're going to make movies and whatnot. And then in the middle of all of it happening, uh, he goes through two major life controversies, including the whole Oscars thing. Right. Uh, and so okay, they're, yeah, they're yeah. his own company's filming a documentary of his life yeah. while he's in like free fall. Yeah. Right. And yet 
they did a pretty good job with the documentary of turning it into an advantage by the end of the whole thing. <laughs> um, but you know, he, it's interesting watching him go through. It's in the last episode he goes through this um, very emotional frustration that, like, like he's in Melbourne on his world tour, okay. kicking stuff off. He's he's very excited to be back in Australia because of his history there as a traveling comedian before he was big. Okay, and. That day he gets the news via text that he's going to be on the Oscars. He announces it um, during the show. Next morning, there are YouTube channels talking about tweets from like 2001 that he made that then uh, blow up into this big attack thing. And he goes on and and just Instagrams, which is a bad decision probably, but Instagrams like seriously – like yeah. that, I can't change. Yeah, the internet you, never forgets. You just can't let me have changed, and that that makes it worse. And right. it, 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 he has to go on and do a live show the next night, still in in Melbourne. I don't right. know how he did it. You right. know, it'll be funny, but um, I really appreciated his emotion at that point. Yeah. Even though by the end of the episode, they kind of, for the sake of safety. No. Had shown the trajectory that he really he should have apologized anyway. Yeah, that, that redemption, arc. Yeah, yeah, right, and and all that. But I I I felt him though. It's like man, like at what point are you safe to just be wrong? That's really what it comes down to. Yeah, you, For, forget the issue of homosexuality. Also, right, 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 like right. that, yeah. I can just say something and be wrong, yeah, and not have it destroy my life. No. But that impacts you will not you will not be forgiven. Yeah, you will not be forgiven, not ever. Um, and you have different starting positions depending on your your kind of your you know where you can start in the progressive stack. Mm. So what you can. But go, it's not just progressivism either. Though. Well, I guess I'm not thinking of that so much as a so much as merely like a set of political positions, but as a sort of dynamic, mm-hmm. uh, a historical dynamic that that our country, our society feels is normal and necessary and so this is this is people believing that the future will get better Hmm. you know people who have who have quote conservative convictions believe that people will live longer and they'll be happier and wealthier whatever in the future um and that is a kind of escape from created reality and from observable historical facts about Hmm. every society Hmm. coming to an end at some point Hmm. That allows people this kind of magical thinking about the future that because the future will always get better, I want to be in step with the future and I and I want to be justified by the future. I think this is why Americans, conservative, liberal, whatever, right, left uh, have a kind of cult of youth Mm. because youth is its own justification, whereas old age is its own apparently manifest wrongness. You failed to get richer, healthier, and wealthier every day of your life. Mm. You may be richer, um, but you're not getting any healthier. Um, and uh, I think that that's, that's kind of, that's some like deep programming that we pretty much all share in the United States. Um, and I think that's what makes it so difficult. Um, what's, what's weird about the internet is the internet has made present to us our pasts. Uh, in a very like obvious way yeah and uh because of that um i can't ever do what americans have always been able to do which is to reinvent yourself uh-huh you know uh-huh. you had the frontier and then the frontier closed and but you still had california <laughs> and you could reinvent yourself as someone else yeah 
And now that's no longer possible. And we are facing in very real terms the kind of, you know, village life of constant knowledge. I mean, growing up in a small town. Yeah, everyone knew everything. Growing up in a small town is like being on Twitter for too long. You yeah. Know, like everyone already knows you. Yeah. And you are shaped as a very different person than the way that Americans have traditionally been where the future will get better. And if it's not better, you can reinvent yourself anyway. Yeah. In that way, maybe Twitter is actually more like reality than other things have been. I don't know. but I'll quote you um, on that. <clears throat> Out yeah. of context. <laughs> Professor Adam Kuhn says Twitter is reality. Twitter is reality. Um, but it is it is a horrible it – is, it is generally a horrible accusatory reality. And nobody, nobody can stay on top of everything that they're supposed to stay on top mm -hmm. of ideologically. Um and so there, there really is no justification available. It makes me wonder. I, I don't. This is not really necessarily something to chase, but the the volatility of from the little I know about it, the volatility of ancient Greece and ancient Rome in electing leaders to go to war. You know, you're one day you're in charge of the empire, the next yeah. day they're killing you. Yeah. Uh, okay. It reminds me of this a little bit. Just the, and it, it was the volatility of democracy a little bit at the time. Is you get the crowds on your yeah. side, they're excited, you go, and as soon as you fail to go, then stones and, okay. and that kind of thing go for it yeah i mean there are some systemic resemblances between any republican or democratic system and any other republican or democratic system just because you're running the machine in a certain similar way mm. the difference is that most pre-modern states are not ideological they are constituted by some kind of obvious shared interest they're nationalistic too. they're, national, be, right? they're nationalistic yeah. yeah they're nationalistic and so to say that a republic is like america is a little difficult because america decides at a certain point i don't think it's actually the 18th century i think it's later but america sort of decides certainly after world war ii this is true that being an american is potentially could be anybody mm -hmm. that it's it's a state unlike it, it's sort of like a church mm -hmm. <laughs> It potentially anybody's an American, and it's constituted by certain, you know, work habits mm -hmm. and maybe certain beliefs. It's not constituted by being, you know, born there, being a member of any particular ethnicity or anything like that. And so that is very different because pre-modern states and even modern states, they're not even that. The, the difficulty is that it is is a scale issue, like we talked about earlier. Um, a united Italy, for instance, such as mm. only comes into being in the 19th century, uh, is, is already an abstraction on a level that nothing has ever been before. Mm. And this is permitted, I think, by modern communications technology. Uh, a government in a central location can now control and get to lots of different places. But if you think about a long time before that, the reason Venice is its own thing and a big thing and becomes powerful Venice starts out as a bunch of refugees from invading Goths, fleeing to these lagoons hmm. to hide. Hmm. Hmm. And over time, they become sort of a people group and then have shared interests. It's totally non-ideological. It doesn't have to do with being a monarchist or a republican or a libertarian right. or whatever. I mean, everyone in modernity is horribly and constantly ideological. Hmm. And it's a constant barrier because it's signaled by things like if I, I mean, I'm wearing a tie right now. If I go out in public and I have a tie on, people are already figuring that I that I'm I don't know. They probably don't think I'm a minister anymore. I'm a lawyer. I'm a banker. 
you know so i probably vote republican i'm a white male i probably vote republican you know what i mean and, yep. and so they're already prejudging me if i go to a coffee shop the beard helps the beard and if helps. you're at a coffee shop it helps now you could definitely be progressive because sometimes you know the sharp look is in right the progressive uh, maybe i'm a democratic strategist yeah there you go okay but like it, it's it, there it, it every everything is ideological everything <sighs> And it makes life – it makes communication very difficult. Define ideological for me. I, I know what it means, but I want to hear you define that Ideological term. would be something like, um, okay, I only love my kids if they say what I say. I only love my kids if they think what I think. A family being a natural entity, I love my kids because they exist. Right? It's the kind of appeal that, that, when, that when talking about marriage – or, or even the concept of love of the neighbor, they'll say, well, naturally you love yourself, right? So Jesus will say, love your neighbor as you love yourself, assuming that the natural thing is, I want to keep my body going. Right. I like being alive. Right, right, right. Natural, normal, created, okay? Um, love your wife as you love yourself, Ephesians 5. Obviously you love yourself. So cherish her. She is, she is you are one flesh. Cherish her. Uh, no man ever despised his own flesh. These are natural communities. A group of people in a lagoon fleeing from onslaughts, <laughs> hiding and creating a certain maritime way of life. That's a natural community. Um, the thing about Twitter that is so unreal is that people are spending, and, and I understand lots of reasons why people do this, but they're spending time not talking to their own families and creating communities which can only ever be highly unsatisfactory on a human level with people that they're never going to meet and probably whose real names they don't even know in some to some extent so that's interesting so so the tying of our identity to ideology is newer is kind of what is you're newer. saying yeah and this is something i mean i i think that um one of the things that I like, this is just a sociological observation, about the Missouri Synod is that in the Missouri Synod, you meet people who are very loyal Missouri Synod Lutherans who, are, who, who have been taught the catechism, and they are completely normal human beings. They don't have any kind of avocational interest in theology. Right. They don't listen to podcasts. They don't know any of this stuff. Huh. They're totally non-ideological people. They go to work. They raise their families. There are entire denominations and certainly subsets of denominations where that's not true. You like you basically have to be a, a super committed theology nerd. Well, and I, certainly that's not what I'm advocating. But but so but, but what I'm saying what I'm saying is, if something is going to be sustained, there has to be room in a community, not just for people like you and me mm-hmm. who are converted, committed, think about this all the time but also for normal people who simply have families. And I think that one of the geniuses of what the Missouri Synod originally set up, especially with what they did with parochial schooling, which I think can also be achieved through homeschooling, is that you give people a sense of reality which it, in which everything is conditioned by what they believe about Christ and the mm-hmm. gospel. But how is that not its own ideology? And... Uh, so that's my question still is how how does ideology differ from say philosophy and or theology yeah. how does our identification with theology not just be a the true version of identification with with ideology 
Um, and then uh, I, I had another connection point there too. So, so, so what is, if there is somebody who is, and, and you know, this almost is going to sound, I don't want to sound like some intellectual elitist here, right? Yeah. But, but, um, somebody who just wants to be a dock worker yeah, and know his catechism and right. go to church yeah. and have the Psalms, like, well, I just said, have the Psalms. So the thing is, whether or not he's ever a theologian, like there's a renewing of the mind that must right. happen. It's yeah. got to have parameters. Those right. parameters are in the catechism, but that doesn't mean he has to have it like memorized and on a shelf. It means that somehow the creed is something he actually believes to be true, and and yeah. the Lord's prayer is something he actually prays on yeah. a regular basis, yeah. right? Yeah. And so, isn't that ideology at at a, at a certain point, or am I just falling into their terms? I don't know. Okay, I think that I think that I should have been clearer about the word ideology. Uh-huh. Is that I think of it as a specifically modern word, and what I mean by that is that it's a word for a society which is already fragmented by um, uh, both massive technological change, so the Industrial Revolution, and then also by um, a, a certain societal vision of ever-increasing individual freedom, which means ever-increasing splintering mm. on a practical level of I do this, uh, my sister does that, my cousin lives this way. My brother thinks this completely different thing about this basic life, like life issue from me. And so we live in completely different places in completely different ways. All of these things are not, I'm not saying like, oh, let's just like evacuate from that. There's no way to do that. You would have to go out of the world. Mm, right. Exactly. But so what, but what I am saying is that Christianity is not merely one ideology, one worldview among others. It is health for the soul in the same way that certain things are simply health for the body. There are other options, for instance, there are other, like, you could never exercise. Modernity actually offers you that. (laughs) (laughs) You could never go outside. You could never see the sun or do anything in the sun, but you shouldn't. Hmm. And And if I were a doctor, I would not present, go outside and exercise as some kind of this is my this is my weird take this is my fad diet mm. this is simply what it means to be a human being you need to go outside you gotta move yeah. you need to move and so christianity is not one ideology among others sort of competing it will have to sound like that in order to reach people you know what i mean yeah. it, it's going to sound like one ideology among but, others when the guy first listens to the podcast or whatever he's doing when he's coming in contact with it but once he gets to know christianity he's going to understand it as simply health for the human soul any human soul because uh, it's it's not and, and and so i'm with you on this yeah. it's not christianity is not an idea it is not and it ev- is not every an idea. other religion is it is a, it is it is a set i mean because when i'm proclaiming the gospel i'm not proclaiming ideas i'm proclaiming realities mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so it it while there are ideas in in christianity that is not its substance and so so i've been you know on this I'm still on the same trip, but like I've been looking at the Oxford Confession a lot in its topics and trying to think about how to how to teach it. Yeah. And this comes from I I used it as a primary text in confirmation this fall. Yeah. And I thought they could handle it. Ah, Not so much. Well, because I had to teach effectively ideas. Right. And so I'm sitting there wrestling with that and. And what does that mean? Is there a way I could just say these things that would be 
at least initially introductory, yeah. not like with some story or analogy or whatever, yeah. but like yeah. like terms that they would just know right, right, right away. Right. And um, in that then, wrestling with original sin, what's original sin? And how much of that term is about sin being an idea? Like right. when we use original sin, we don't normally mean like me, but we do. But it's like an idea about me, yeah. right? Yeah. It's it's like a theory that yeah, I have about me. Wrong. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, as opposed to being uh, the phrase I've latched onto for myself, and I don't know if I'll stick with it, but you know, uh, when we when we confess in Augsburg too, is that I am born critically wicked. Period. That's it. I am critically wicked. Yeah, terminally. That's it. Yeah. yeah. That's it. There's no, there's no more idea to it. It's just, it's just true, yeah. right? Uh, I think I don't, I don't know. This, I, to, that is an example then of this. Somehow, our knowledge of God has become knowledge of ideas about God, as opposed to correct the uh, awareness of His presence. And that allows that allows the preacher in his sermon to reduce everything to sort of mere psychology. Yeah. Yeah. And it allows the hearer to relegate anything that the pastor says to kind of, okay, well, that's that's just pastor. Or these are kind of, these are just the rules of the game inside the church. Yeah. <laughs> I, you made me think of the word psychology you sent me off. We, we were talking about Ferdy, uh, I think, before we started a little yeah. bit. But, like, if no one, I don't think, is pointing out his real danger, which is that his, his approach to law gospel, when taken as a homiletic, becomes a psychological shack, uh, shackle that your sermons have to fit into this right. like uh, scaffolding right. that is a psychological framework for right. trying to do the gospel, right. uh, and that that's more dangerous than anything because then you're again you're not in the text at that point, <laughs> you're, and you don't you you're don't even manipulating. Need to be. And it's it's remarkable to me how many guys come to the seminary and how many parishioners I've talked to in various congregations that when I say, "Have you guys ever heard basically the same sermon every week for years?" And they have, yeah, and that, yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. that bums me out. Um, and and it's because we have kind of we have replaced theology, which is simply a description of God's reality in everything as revealed in Scripture, to uh, psychology. Yeah, we've. Rep- I'm, I'm going to go back to it. I I'm trying to work into my 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 lingua franca. Yeah, that I just say knowing God instead of theology. I'm just yeah. gonna, I'm just trying to yeah, say sure. it as obviously we've replaced knowing God. With and I didn't even hear what you finished it on, but it's true <laughs> though, because it, that phrase "knowing God" makes it sound so mystical and, and vacuous, and and you know all these things that the Pentecostals do wrong, yeah, right? Yeah. And yet, it's not like we don't know God. That, that's a, right. that's our whole point is right. we know God. Right. We know Him in the face of Jesus Christ. We know Him in the supper, right? right. And and we don't talk that way. Um, so I'm, I want to recapture it because I think piety is part of that. Uh, piety, or, piety is natural for love. And love is natural when God has been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, you want to say more? I can go back to something else that we just passed. Two things, actually. Golly, they're both good. You, and this, so this is coming out of the ideology stuff. You, you talked about deep programming and you, the horribly ideological nature of us. You called it deep programming. And I like that phrase as a better way of trying to get into this, you know, framework of our worldviews that yeah. we have, um, that there is a, the, every single media consuming American is programmed to 
think with a certain set of assumptions or in a certain kind of box or yeah. in a certain um, uh, operating system. Right. And a lot of times the we're, we're not able to see it because it's like you don't see the – and I'm going stupid on the analogies, but you don't see DOS running underneath your windows, right? right? But right. it's there, it right? It is. And that's our problem as Missouri Standard Lutherans right now is we have way too much of – America's DOS system underneath, right, (laughs) affecting what we can or cannot do with our Windows program. And so we have to get down and hack the real code a little bit. Um, But then that's that's kind of my question to you then is, because I know you've thought about this kind of stuff, when you go down and you look at that deep code that is actually running our minds on a day-in, day-out basis, as pious Lutherans who are trying our best, but we're still being run by the world, like led by the nose, what are those category assumptions, you know, uh, two, three, four, are there more, um, that we are working from, uh, that we need to challenge or, uh, yeah. This is a big, yeah, no, that's a big, that's a nice big question. I mean, I think that the most, the day to day one that is most surprising for people is that, um, although it really doesn't matter at all as an operating category for hardly anything in the Bible, Equality is super important <laughs> to yeah. Americans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, the, what the the thought difficulty with equality is that if you're always concerned for something being equal, it usually makes you unable to perceive um, what is going on because you're worried that you might perceive you might perceive something that turns out to be unequal. So this is most obvious with Missouri Synod Lutherans with men and women. Hmm. We're unable to perceive male-female differences as natural, created, and to order ourselves towards playing those roles well because we're concerned that if we play those roles too well, we won't be equal. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously not the Bible's concern because the Bible's concern is for orders of creation, not for some kind of theoretical equality. And you notice this because whenever you talk about orders of creation, people will bring up terms taken from American political discourse such as second-class citizens or hmm. something like hmm. that. Hmm. Um, and it's it's because we're all programmed on a really deep level to have equality really matter. And there's stuff, I mean, some of this is just like, it's it's the soup we swim in. So, for mm. instance, like, um, maybe in, like, 19th century Germany, uh, people that I've known for 10, 15 years would now address me as Reverend Professor Kuntz when encountering me. Mm. But said people just call me Adam and that's sorry. Fine. Well, no, it, like it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like it yeah. doesn't even bother me because yeah. I have that programming and it doesn't bother me. Like, yeah, yeah. Care. You know, it's fine. Um, another thing would be, but that j- to yeah. kind of emphasize yeah, your point, that yeah. awareness of class distinction earned, right. Is something that we have intentionally removed from our society. And, and you will even have people boasting of it. In us. Right. I mean, the, the whole, I'm Pastor Bob kind of thing. Is like, I, I shall remove <laughs> right. this distinction, right? Right, right, right. right. Uh, so, yeah. Okay. And, there, and, there, and the reason for those distinctions is not a kind of st- uh, like foolish stiffness. Mm-hmm. The reason for those distinctions is to make possible for that person to give you things that they can't give you if they are your equal. Right. So I don't call my mother and my father by their first names. Not even now. Right. You know, um, I don't call my professors by their first names so that they can teach me. Um stuff like that right um i think that the something that is maybe a little bit more basic even than equality because i think that 
inequality is actually fairly easily perceived by human beings, and they find out when equality is inauthentic, like with Pastor Bob, hmm. who is sort of a tyrant in the congregation, mm-hmm. but he's just Bob. Right. Something that is a little harder to perceive is um, what the value of material things is, or how I how I figure out the value of material things. So when the Bible talks about money, the Bible also presumes that that the chief material thing that is valuable more than gold and silver is human flesh and blood. That's that's why Jesus himself did not incarnate as gold or silver. He incarnated as flesh and blood. Um, therefore, everything may be given up for the sake of confessing the truth concerning his flesh and blood and for the love of the brother who has flesh and blood. Everything, including gold and silver, may be given up to those things. Right. Um, bec- if you can't think that way, it's going to be nearly impossible to make sacrifices that are normative in church history. Martyrdom. Also, beautiful churches. Yeah, I know. It is impossible if you are valuing other things above the flesh and blood of Christ. If that is simply like, I mean, and I mean this quite literally, like when I think about my family budget, I think about what will benefit the flesh and blood of Christ, what will contribute to his body. Is that a checklist you got? I'm sorry. Oh be, to be, to well, be a no, punk. no, no, you're not. I mean, uh, you're not being, I mean, maybe you're being facetious. Like, unironically, that's, that's oh, I would, no, about. I would hope that you're thinking that, like, that you're saying this is a life principle as opposed to every time you open the budget, that's the first thought on your mind is I would, I would have trouble remembering to think the thought every well, time. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's yeah, all. no, no, but like as a life principle and, and it's, it's easy to think that way. If you think about what valuation the Bible puts on various things, human flesh and blood, gold, silver, whatever else, whatever other materials. I find it, it's interesting. Um, and I'm not going to go too far out of school on this, but a recent conversation I had about uh, artwork in church, and the uh, we, we bought a couple of banners, and um, it was suggested that there are people in the congregation with skills that we should have looked to Utilized, them yeah, instead. Right. And I'm, I'm seeing that go back to the equality thing here. So, like, somehow, uh, yeah, so, somehow the need to feel valued on the same level like somehow by buying a professional piece of art we have right. d- demeaned the right. humans of the congregation yeah, right. even right. though it's it's lifted the experience yes. right. right which is my goal um but i'm fighting against a, a culturally ingrained thing this there. is what is uh, that's what i think is so unnatural about equality and it's why people can perceive both slights to equality but also inauthentic e- equality with pastor bob so easily is because we all know on some level that equality is in almost anything it's a unnatural. It's a charade. It, it's, it's unnatural. It doesn't exist. Some people are better at talking than others. Some people are better right. with their hands than others. Right. Part of humility as a Christian virtue is understanding all the things that you're bad at. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and being mindful of those things more than you are of all the things that you're naturally good at. Mm. I'd like to spin that the other way and, and understand that the things you're good at are your or like how God is giving you to others right. and embrace it and then embrace where God is giving you others right. who can do what you cannot do. And I, I, I think that, I think that once you let go of equality as a kind of, you know, fetish, um, excellence in the things that you are good at, yeah. it's that much easier to achieve Yeah, because you are not worried about a sort of thoroughgoing mediocrity whereby everybody is on the same is the same but I can be really good at the thing that God has actually gifted me with. So you gave me equality, material value and you've linked human dignity or value to material value. Yeah. 
what else? Well, because the third thing I think that is really key in and 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 foreigners talk about this constantly with Americans is pragmatism, and it's linked mm-hmm. to those two values. Pragmatism is kind of our universal technique. It's also distinctive of one of our very few philosophical schools that are homegrown um william james um uh and the pragmatism comes out of valuing gold and silver above all things i mean sometimes when i think about and i've thought about this sort of personally in in doing genealogy because my family on both sides has been here for so long is that america is a kind of giant casino (laughs) it doesn't have to be but it but it functionally it functionally very often has been Mm. and uh whether usually that was land Mm. um, but now that we're sort of running out of that in many places it's other things it's other schemes but it's all about getting something out of nothing Mm -hmm. and so that pragmatism comes about because uh anything may be sacrificed to the acquisition of gold or silver um and equality at least projected equality um Equality, uh, as we talk about it, not necessarily in fact, lip service equality um, can hide my, uh, you know, rapacious grasping after more gold and more silver in my life. And um, to me, this is why. Like Bernie with his three houses talking about wealth redistribution. Right, exactly. (laughs) I mean, it it, it is on its face absurd. Yeah. Uh, His wife was a college professor. These people, that is the governing class. Yeah, right. Um, if they lived in, you know, a ranch home somewhere in West Virginia, I would be more attentive, you know. And then they'd be Republican. Well, right. I mean, that's a different podcast. Right. I was just listening. They're like, all of them got ranches when they retire. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but so, you know, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is that is that pragmatism is the American technique for life uh, because of these two values of hmm. at, at, le- at least the facade of equality and then the valuation of gold and so so define so in your defining pragmatism then as pragmatism pragmatism it, machiavelli gets accused of this but it's really not true machiavelli is trying to protect natural communities mm. how he gets there you don't have to agree with pragmatism is actually i think worse than anything that machiavelli is accused of because it means that i don't actually have a principle besides the acquisition of wealth Right, and I see this constantly because it is, and it's very sad, but it gets, it gets trans, it it gets transmuted in people's daily lives as, I'm going to do this so that my kid can get a good education, mm-hmm. implying he's going to make more money than I do. Right, I will do this. I will sacrifice my family's closeness to this job or that job or these sets of jobs. And then I'll wind up with this income, but I will have lost my family along the way. This is so common. It is also the common American misunderstanding of the term happiness, which in the declaration does not mean my sort of personal satisfaction or the number of streaming services I subscribe to. But that's kind of how it's understood. So it doesn't matter for our purposes today what Jefferson meant. It matters that Americans believe that everything else can be sacrificed. That, and I mean, Mm -hmm. I know that you've heard the same things I've heard. I don't know how many marriages have been slain on the altar of happiness <laughs> openly and obviously. And then the person is shocked when you're like, well, actually like Jesus and Paul don't talk about your happiness. Yeah, they don't really care. <laughs> I've said it out loud. Like they, God doesn't care if you're happy. And people are like, 
what? angry about it. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be angry. The when reason I said that, that they're shocked is because the the materialism, the pragmatism, and the sense of equality means that I have I deserve equality, a shot at um, pragmatism. Whatever, however, my shot, whatever shape my shot's going to take in my career, uh, gold and silver. Yeah. Therapeutic deism is what you made me think of there. The God comes in later, yeah. and I sincerely mean that. Yeah. Because if God needs to enter in as a, as a word in people's lives, it is as a justification after the fact for what they're doing or thinking or but saying. You're still tying the, t- the concept of pragmatism directly to wealth acquisition as opposed to, say, just efficiency or um, uh, improvement. Right. Well, that's because management, which is a which is a— the MBA is born in America, mm. and the technique of management is also born in America, is invented as a way to maximize wealth production, specifically with an industrial processes to start with. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's definitely there, um, although I've, I've personally felt like I've been able to glean from those worlds. And, and you know, MBA, I would say, you know, probably not worth your time, but uh, – I'm saying from there, it, there's a there's a reason that that the that the MBA is uniquely born in America. Yes, it makes sense. And that even in places that are extremely economically successful, such as Germany, it's still not even common to have an MBA. They'll usually put an engineer in charge of a corporation that makes things, whereas we put in charge of that same corporation somebody who is quote good at getting things done or good at managing right. people. Right. Because there's something, I mean, you're, you're touching on my, maybe my own idol a little bit, but uh, um, the idea that it's not so much about having more money. Yeah. It's about what I've got making it go as far as it can go. Yeah. And that would be in any level. So right. it's kind of on the excellence idea you were talking yes. about earlier. Yeah. And, you know, even the term management, I mean, this is a complete tangent, but, um, you know, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a, awful idea that your job is to is to manage adults as if they're problems right. as opposed to um, uh, moving a group in a direction with intentionality and value which is the way a lot of the corporate talk would go these days certainly wasn't the case during industrial revolution right. yeah right um, but I, I so I have trouble disentangling pragmatism from that I'm not I'm not a pra- I don't think I'm a like yeah. an advocate of pragmatism, yeah. I probably am a pragmatist, though I'm an American, right? Um, but so I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around it. Where, where it hit the ground the most yeah. um, for me is when you you linked it to my son having a better job than me, and then this is this is the death trap of, of forgive me college education right now. It, it is. And it's <laughs> not that you can't go to college. It's yeah. not that you can't do fine in college. It's why. Why are we doing this? Why are we sending our children off to these places? And it's always a better job. It's always right. a better lifestyle. Right. It's, right. It is not for the blood of Christ. It's not for the blood of the family. Yeah. It's not for the sake of their children. It's right. none of those things. Right. 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 Uh, and it is that, that material wealth thing. Um, and that's that's pretty brutal right there. Uh, is that pra- – see, you're linking it to pragmatism. It's fascinating. Okay. Well, because techniques of, let's say, self-management – Discipline, um, getting up at a certain time, mm-hmm. um, staying in shape, organizing. And none of that happens at college. That's also, <laughs> also true. Um, those things in Christian theology are traditionally under the rubric of ascesis, which is the training. It's, it, that's the term that Paul, Paul uses. Paul uses, yeah. 
it's the training that an athlete undergoes in order to be victorious. Yeah. And the race that we have set before us is a race toward the upright, the, the upward call uh, of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm racing for. So discipline is tremendously important. Um, Americans, what I'm saying, our deep programming is as Americans is to orient ourselves not towards the upward call, but towards the maximization of gold and silver. Yeah, you, so, you see this even, I mean, okay, uh, a lot of people don't know this. There are, there are lots of other Lutheran churches in the world where pastors essentially make roughly the same adjusted for inflation and cost of living. That's a maximization of this guy is really talented. He belongs in this little church that needs a lot of help, not right. this giant church that's going to pay him a lot more. Right. American churches are openly pretty capitalistic. In yeah, it's the truth. You know, well, but they're not. They don't even realize it, though. They don't realize that's it. so frustrating to me too. It's, is it, it, it just the stuff that is deep program is the stuff that generally, unless you slam into an opposite idea and actually think about it, right, just feels normal. And actually think about it. <laughs> um, I think one of my uh, favorite negative comments in the last month, month and a half, has been. <laughs> Just on YouTube, all it said was, you're overthinking this. It's like, you're underthinking it, man. Come on. What are you talking about? Uh, well, that's like, you know, that the, that's the galaxy brain take that is just above it all. I know? might be overthinking it, but it's like, 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 do you watch anything I do? That's like why you're watching is because it's funny to watch me stumble through overthinking all this stuff. Discipline as the antithesis of pragmatism then. In, in the way you're using the word pragmatism, I can latch onto discipline and love everything I thought I maybe agreed with in pragmatism and leave pragmatism behind. Um, and discipline being a biblical word, however, disciple is really just one of these words that's just been in large part taken from us by evangelical uh, misloading. I don't know if that's the right word, reloading of the term with uh, all sorts of nonsense. Um, and yet the word discipline is completely absent from Christian concepts outside of maybe monasticism, right? Yeah, that that that, right. that you would have a discipline as as a, as a Christian or be disciplined by well, your church. I think something you see about monasticism throughout its history in Christianity is that it is it often outsources tasks to monks that all Christians should be responsible for. Hmm. Um, continuing in prayer, right, um, right, discipline of the flesh. Um, Stuff like that, and then it it's takes a lot its, easier if I pay someone to whip himself, and yeah, if I have to whip right. myself, right? And so it takes on its own weird dynamics and all that sort of thing. But it's usually, to me, it's it's sort of like outsourcing something you really should do for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any more equality, material value, and and pragmatism? Any more thoughts on that before I? Shift Not today. It again? I mean, you know, um, I often. I mean, American. I I love American history. Um, I don't have another country to belong to. But it's often depressing to study. How do you how do you undo deep programming? For my own part, it has taken an enormous amount of time, and you have to hear the truth from a variety of different angles and persons generally hmm. in order for it to sink home. I think you also need quiet in your mind to think over things. So, like it. Um, you can't undo deep programming by sort of like attaching yourself tribally, like on the internet for a while and then hoping that that produces a new kind of person. Like time is absolutely essential to learning. And so you need, you need time. It, it's a lifelong task because 
if, if you talk about deep programming as a right. cultural reality, right. it's sort of like talking about somebody's besetting sins on an individual level. Yeah, but, I, but separating it from sin, though, yeah. you know, because I agree with you completely. Yeah. New every morning, we're never out of the woods, sure, sure. any of that yeah, stuff. Right. But in terms of if we're going to talk cultural revolution right. within the synod. Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's been done before. But it's got to be more than a head game, and it's not going to happen in our institutions as institutions. And it's it's only going to be if those actual assumptions are are truly brought head to head with reality in some way that is more than just a couple guys talking about. Yeah, it. right, right, right. Um, Which the equality one is being done for us to some extent. <laughs> I have I have had more preaching for me done by the world yeah, by the chaos right. of the transgender movement right, right, right. it's i would have had to spend 30 years trying to bring people up to speed on what was you know right. what the meaning of this exactly. thing was hey maybe men and women really are yeah thing. and now it's yeah, yeah right right yeah um there's a book about the history of the midwest it's kind of fascinating. I just stumbled upon right, it. I can't believe anything you just said. First, that there was a book about the history of the Midwest. Second, that it would be fascinating. Yeah, no, it's fascinating. It's called Minds of the West, and this guy analyzes a variety of figures in the history of the Midwest huh. as trying to create new worlds here. And hmm. one of them is CFW Walther. And I, I love this because I am fascinated by Walther, not as someone to beat up on for certain shortcomings, but as somebody who actually built something. Yeah, right shockingly dude he he actually built something and it held together if i died being able to say something like that i die a happy man i mean he had a lot of help i think but he built more than something he did he built multiple somethings he built multiple big ones and it had its own massive crisis in the election controversy and it still held together and so um, this guy analyzes walther as basically a man more akin to like brigham young with the mormons huh than akin to just like sort of another thinker, right? And that's the, to go along with this non-ideological thing. I am interested in things being built and sustained. Amen. I, I, I don't care if anyone is reading a word that I have written or or am writing or will write after I'm dead. It really doesn't matter. I want it to be. I want something concrete to exist. I want my family to be believers. I want there to be a church for them to go to. That's really all I care about. So. I think that if we're thinking about change over time, in my experience, when I talk about things like this, people get this. They either, especially if they're older, they get that there's something horribly wrong. If they're younger, they're usually a little bit more articulate about it because they've only ever lived it. Hmm. So they think a lot about it, and they can't remember anything better. Right. And in in its own way, I think that that's very productive because the experience of horrible things creates a, a, a deep desire for better things. Mm. And that makes me hopeful about the future because I encounter so many people in our church um, daily, honestly, because of my job Mm. now. So many people who who want far better things and who want to build and they want to be, I think most of all, inspired. Like Mm. there is a great, um, especially in the past, honestly, since I started thinking about Walther and other things in the church and, and Paul in this way as builders, and not necessarily simply as writers or thinkers. Hmm. There is a great um, love that has come over me for so many people um, who are simply trying to do something with their lives. And it has made me personally a much less judgmental person 
than certainly I was programmed to be um, because I, I, I want to encourage people in the things that they are struggling to do or have at least the, un, the inarticulate desire to achieve with their lives. I want to help them and I want to encourage them. I don't want to tear them down. Mm. I, I, don't, I don't even want to be right. I just want to help them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I yeah. think it's, and that, and that is because I realize that if we do not build, everything will go away. Um, we will simply be, you know, swept up into whatever. Yeah. That is a nice transition back yeah. to the other thing you mentioned way earlier that I just think was so much fun. I believe you used the phrase dystopian ending with re- <laughs> re- re- reference to the, uh, the collapse of civilizations. And, <laughs> Um, I don't know. It's it's the fiction nut in me and the fiction writer in me, but um, I don't really want to live through a dystopian collapse of right. the yeah. if the the continent. I mean, it wouldn't be just the United States. Right. It'd be it'd right. be continental, be global. Yeah. Thanks, NAFTA. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> forget that. It's yeah, just no, it's just no, food it's production, just, yeah, right? right? You know, right, right, I, right. I, the number of people that we have is. I don't believe we have too many people on the planet. However, we are reliant upon certain things to keep right, it going the way we've built production. it, right? Yeah. And, and synthetic uh, fertilizer. To, uh, yeah. yeah, and then our vegans want to get us all eating even <laughs> worse stuff for the environment. Um, I hope you enjoy the uh, grasshoppers. They're going to feed you. Well, that'd be have real protein in it at least. <laughs> The soy garbage. Um, so, but dystopian ending. Yeah. Um, and I, I did this, I think it was maybe two or three weeks ago in my Sunday morning Bible study. And I can't remember uh, what story brought this up. Golly, I think back to it. But um, I was trying to challenge everybody, challenge myself too. I mean, it's always yeah, you're yeah. dealing with yourself. Um, to, to take our heads out of our assumption, we came to church, we're going to go to church, we're going to go home, tomorrow's my job, it's just normal like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and for a moment, pretend it was it's possible that something could happen in our lives that would so radically alter normal that we'd be thrown back upon self-reliance, that we'd be thrown back upon uh, – Christianity as right. something that, dear God, thank thank God this is here, yeah, right? right? right. Um, and how hard it is to do that, to right. imagine that. Right. It's like, no, it's going to keep going just like this. Right. But no other country ever has. I right. mean, what exactly. we're only 200 and some odd years in, so the good ones make the 500-year-old run or so, so maybe we'll get there. No one really makes it much longer than that. I mean, Assyria yeah. maybe it was 1,000, something like that, but uh, and even then, it's up and down and conquerings left and right. Yeah. right. And we like think like all the wars are over there, they'll right. never be here. Right. Golly, then that tangent, you know, the um, Ed Manifesto is a guy that Joe Rogan's hit on a couple of times yeah. talking about uh, uh, Mexico, Mexico stuff. I love oh, that man. guy because that guy does not talk about ideas; he talks about things. He sure does. Mexico, man, that is a place. That also, is a place right also, there with it, lots he, of guns. He perceives something that I have that I had thought about before, which is the resemblance between Appalachia and Mexico. You know, he said he loved he loved Kentucky. He's like it's. He said it's like white Mexico. Oh, like, yeah, that's from, funny. I was like, I'm from white Mexico. I yeah. Understand. Yeah. 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 So what? I, my question is um, not so much like what would you say would be the thing that would be the collapse? I mean, it could be anything, you know, right. disease or, or war or whatever. whatever. Yeah. Um, how real is that possibility this year, five years, 10 years, <laughs> 25 years, 100 years? Because even as I talk about it, I'm like, yeah, 
but it wouldn't be for 20 years. Like my in my in my right, my psyche, right, my reptilian right. brain goes. Right. So you want to talk about it? You want to get your go bag ready eventually. Yeah. But um, nah, it's not really real. Probably right. be in your kid's lifetime anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, is that is that just my fear hiding from reality? Probably because it enables you to put off any kind of you know provision you're making for yeah. a certain future and um, part of our part of our orientation within that kind of like, you know, the pragmatism and so is that, um, there will always be a system set up that will, in which I can maximize my wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's like a fundamental assumption about American yeah. reality. And yeah. it's just not, it's just not true. And that's why, I mean, th- that is why, you know, I, I made the point about, I don't like the term founding fathers because it's the people not that they came here for whatever reasons, um, but even to speak about the general, like my ancestors, they weren't, they weren't immigrants because there was nothing here. They were settlers and they dealt with realities of which they were probably unaware before they got on the boat in East Anglia and London and such. And then they came here and they built a, something and dealt with those realities. And, um, to my mind, uh, modern economic systems, industrialized societies give you the illusion that that way of being human, which to me is simply dealing with created realities, mm. can be altered. You can you can exit created realities into unimaginable futures of abundance that will go on and mm. on and on. That's the myth they keep telling. That is the I, myth. I definitely hear that. And so, you know, um, I think obviously that goes away at some point. The causes of it could be manifold, and no one could have predicted that, like, Boris Yeltsin, who was kind of like an alcoholic putz, would himself, like, precipitate the downfall of the world's second largest empire Mm. when he did in the fashion that he did. So um, that's where Taleb is really helpful, because the thing that you prepare for, you know, is not all the white swans that you've ever seen in your life. Right. It's the fact of black swans. You don't play guessing games as to when the black swan will arrive or how many there will be. You just account for in the way that you budget, think about your life, run your life, make decisions, that there are black swans, that you aren't actually God. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that's what... uh... So when I had that conversation with the Bible study, it's not like I want everyone to go home and start prepping. That's not really the end game of that at all. The end game is that as a congregation, we start making decisions with a ten or a twenty or a thirty year right. mindset, right. and then and that it's not we're going to bind this down so that um, it's going to be just like this in thirty years, but more like what are the things that have to be here in thirty right. years? Right. Let's let's do everything we can to make sure that can't go right. away. Right. And anything else. Like whatever, yeah, you know, and yeah. I think I think that you know um, Americans, the 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 statistic that financial journalists will report to you constantly is how little the vast majority of American households have in savings. Yeah, there are there are a number of causes of that. Inflation they, being the biggest one. Yeah, they, worth- they they don't report to you how incredibly short term the thinking of the corporations that control our lives is. You know, being run around quarterly reporting. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, w- we're all living in terms of short-term things that could prove to be illusions. 
And so, I mean, I, th- I think it is, in t- it is emphatically part of the gospel that you, that you plan your life in terms of the last day, which is a black swan event. Nobody's ever seen it. Nobody's ever seen it, and nobody knows when it's coming. I debate that on a hillside outside Jerusalem yeah, one day okay, it was okay, seen. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, sure. I agree with that. Yeah, I just yeah. had to do it so I could yeah. show you I'm paying attention. <laughs> is, um, you know, you're, you're planning in view of something of which God is entirely in control. Yeah. So on, uh, you know, a much lower level, the continued existence or collapse of the American Ottoman Empire, obviously I'm going to plan with that in view too. Yeah, yeah. No problem. So what are you doing? Uh, Besides getting a tenured position at a, at a at a lucrative backwater insular educational elitist snob hobbery you know, land. I, I love flyover <laughs> country. Going to be honest with you, <laughs> nobody notices us here. Yeah, no, they're they're paying attention. Yeah. They're going to Google Google Gulag you soon enough, <laughs> right? They're talking that way in some right. of the stuff. It's just crazy. I know. But on a on a personal level, I'm I'm planning for my family. I'm training my children to form families mm. that propagate the both the faith and the way of life that I and my wife have. Yeah. Um, and I value the social connections, the friendships, the long-term relationships that further those things um, across the country because I think one of the benefits of being a national church body is that we, if we start thinking about things collectively – things that could happen in 30 years, things that could happen in five years, we have inputs from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that could be very fruitful for us to survive. It could be. I mean, that's part of my frustration is I look at the the ship we got, the network we have, that yeah. Walther built. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, holy moly, this is quite a machine. Right. But. What is it oriented toward? Uh, right. So um, and and can that yeah. that insert that poison pill of final democracy allow us to reorient it? Because when it comes down to it, the reason we're not having real conversations is because you yeah. got to please right. the mass. Right. I think I think it is I think it is possible. I'm not down on democracy in and of itself mm-hmm. as just a way of decision making. I think it is obviously takes more rhetorical work. Mm to inspire democracies than obviously if you just have like 10 people that make a decision. It takes skin in the game from the voter. That's what it takes. It does. It does. And that's what we don't have in large part. We, I, I think, I think we will have more and more of it all the time so. because our people perceive things that very few of us ever talk about hmm. from the pulpit about what is occurring such that when I make a joke like, well, I'm not really worried about this because America won't exist in 10 years. People laugh because they've had some of the same morbid thoughts themselves. Hmm. You hmm. Know? Hmm. So I think I think it will be perceived, um, but I think we have to strategize for it. I mean, I think the distinctive thing about the Missouri Synod relative to something that became theologically identical, for, at least for a while, the Wisconsin Synod, is that the Missouri Synod planned to go as far as possible hmm. with their message. Hmm. They thought about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> if you're not intentional, if you don't have discipline, it's right. much harder to achieve what you could achieve under God's grace uh, than if you just kind of like let things happen to you. Yeah. yeah. But that's where we are now. We are letting things happen to yeah, us. And, very much. And, and we, we're definitely complaining about things that are happening to us, but without a sense of like what to do about it. Yeah. Or 
I'm trying to think. It makes me think of an analogy that I that I now can't quite grasp onto. But like the um, the image of somebody in a in a bar or in a coffee shop, you know, complaining really loudly right. about the thing they're doing to themselves yeah. without realizing it, yeah. right? Uh, or I, I had a colleague once who, whenever he'd do this often, but um, you know, if he had three and a half hours of work he had to get done by a certain time yeah. that day, yeah. he'd go and talk about it for 15 to 20 minutes to one person in the office. Right. And as soon as that person got up and walked away, he'd turn and talk to somebody else in the office about how much he had to do. Right, right, right. And it right. just drive me nuts. Like, right. well, then go do it, go man. Do it. Yeah. But that is sort of the picture of, I mean, the LCMS, we'll, we will sit here and we will insularly complain about yeah. the world, but don't expect us to change. Don't expect us to Get out of the box, critically assess this thing, give up our um, – the things that keep us from having to have skin in the game, we're not yeah. going to give those up. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it, it makes me angry, not because I'm angry, uh, but because you know the two options of rebuilding or passing rain shower – Yeah. I know what passing rain shower means for everybody, and I don't want that. I don't know. And, and, and passing – like – to base our church's future strategic existence on a Luther quote from I don't know where about something that might not even be biblically true. No, but but what I'm saying is that um, so I maybe I maybe said that poorly then. Um, more that like if we don't in faith, yeah. in Christian discipline, yeah. build upon the foundation which is laid and yeah. given to us to, right. to build. Then when the rain shower passes on, yeah. what happens in the wake of that, when yeah. cultures have that happen, it hurts everybody. And so I, I the reason I'm zealous yeah. is I just don't want that for anybody. No, I, I, it's no, like I Cassandra screaming about the you know the right. vision. And right? no one is listening. And 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 I think the reason I don't like the idea of the passing rain shower, and I disagree with Luther on this, is uh. that Paul doesn't even even where he encounters fierce resistance that is his own ethnic group the Jewish people yeah. he doesn't say okay well just give up on them right 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 he might even accept that he personally cannot achieve that much with them but he still commands people everywhere to repent yeah and says be reconciled to God yeah. yeah so the answer to this isn't working is okay I need to figure out a different way to do this not like oh man everything's so bad like I like. I don't want another person to tell me that it's hard to be a Christian in America. I'm so tired of hearing that. I don't, I don't even, I don't, it's not hard to be a Christian. It's just hard to be a white male. <laughs> true. That's, well, that's also true. We laugh because of the morbid reality. How much of more it? time do we have? Uh, um, I don't, I don't even want to hear about it. I want to build. I want to just accept that, you know, life is horrible sometimes yeah, for some people. Yeah. And I want to just deal with it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I, I'm, I, if that means that I'm martyred, whatever, fine. God, God will do whatever he wants to do. I want Christ to be glorified. And I don't want somebody to be like, because the other reason I really hate the passing rain shower idea is that what if somebody had personal, that it's, it's like Calvinism. What if somebody mm -hmm. had said Adam Kuntz was born and did not, he didn't get to go to Sunday school, but he's, He's a white male of mainly Congregationalist extraction Congregationalists were awful anyway I hate pietists 
um, nobody tell him the gospel. The mm. gospel has passed away from right, him. Right, right, right. The gospel is gone from him. But I don't Before, see. I don't see that quote as really. I mean, if people use the quote that way, I mean, I, I think that's not what he meant. I think, I think it's just more that you don't know it's gone till it's gone. It's, it's the it's the Amos famine of the word thing too, right? Yeah. And then you realize it's gone and you can't get it back, right? And that's the it's the lack of that fear in us that bothers me. And I see the lack of fear. But what I see in the New Testament church is a desire to to spread the gospel and to build. To build on the foundation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's that's the kind of stuff I want to focus on. I understand it's difficult. Like, I know. But um, I, w- I, want, I want to build. And, th- and that is also something. Building is also inspiring to people, both who are already here in the mm-hmm. church and who are not yet here, mm-hmm. in a way that's saying, like, boy, it's really hard. That's not going to do anything for anybody. No, no one's joining your "It Feels Bad" <laughs> <Right>. club. <laughs> right. Please join us in misery. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Nine, nine a.m. on Sundays. Uh shoot! Now I lost. You, uh, <laughs> you gave me a thought a moment ago. Yeah. Oh, crud! Where'd it go? Before the club thing. Yeah. Um. Oh, changing talk. That wasn't yeah. it. Oh, this was it though. Okay, so kind of, kind of winding down a little bit, but yeah. um, I don't know. We haven't talked for a bit, and yeah. I haven't been pushing the insularity thing as much recently. But it was really interesting to watch the responses that yeah. I got, um, and they they swung from. I, I drive a horse and buggy. So yeah, what did they say I wasn't. Following? Yeah, um, it, it, I was. I, I was. It was. It's weird. It's yeah. surreal. Yeah, because the people who I have good rapport with who've been in conversation with me. Right. Well known people. Yeah. Call me up and say, What are you talking about? What are you doing? Stop. <laughs> Stop. People think you're nuts. Okay. And then I have I have like people online being right, like, You're right. unhinged. Right. Like I had that as a comment too. You're unhinged. People are so okay. wonderful. So and then I have like Wells guys yeah. coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. This is amazing. Keep talking this way. We've had that with uh uh Word Fitly Spoken, which I'm on fairly often too is wells guys like want to talk and i'm like this is awesome yeah it is cool it's been 50 but it's also it's surreal to me that like missouri is like no and then (laughs) and wisconsin's like well we'll talk about it we'll repent you know good for you guys (laughs) right um and then the uh the other side has been the um the post-evangelical convert to lcms then it's not like thousands of letters But more than one hand's worth yeah. of emails, at yeah. least more than two hands worth of yes, I became a Missouri Senate member in spite of everything the Missouri Senate does, <laughs> and I had to fight for it. And I'm here, and I won't leave. Yeah, but someone needs to start talking about this. <laughs> like you really tried to keep me out, and right. it's the word of God right. alone that brought me in. Right. So what would happen? If instead of trying to keep everybody out, right. we just try to get the word on the front of the whole thing, right? right? Yeah. You'd think it would do something. Yeah, right. I say all that yeah. because your conversations were instrumental and have been yeah. instrumental in part yeah. of that and in actually giving me the freedom to talk about it too. Sure. Uh, and so the impact you're having yeah. via that, so yeah. just so you know that's there. Um, well, I yeah. think I think, I think think 
the freedom to talk about things is a sign of trust and love mm. and um, freedom. That freedom does not exist uh, where, where trust and love cannot be present. Um, I.e. voters assemblies. <laughs> <laughs> the audience can't see my reaction. Um, you know, yeah. Um, and so I think that I think that anything that, that builds up trust and love makes freedom more and more possible. Mm -hmm. um, when people are, when they don't have that, they know it, and it never actually solves anything. Um, not talking is just a Band-Aid. Knock that down. Yes. Well, it's more. It's not even a Band-Aid. I mean, it's like a Band-Aid over a wound where you don't clean the wound. Right, yeah. Right? Like the, the wound will become infected and kill you eventually. You slap the Band-Aid on it. Right, yeah. So you feel like you did something. Um, we'll we'll have to. I mean, pastors already know this who are dealing with the things that a person actually deals with on a daily basis, um, because people don't have problems um, such as our books uh, address a lot of the time. They have new problems um, with transgender stuff, but they also have they also have cultural issues with the LCMS that we didn't have to think about as long as we were kind of a self-sustaining group. Mm. And just because of demographic reality, we're not a self-sustaining group at this point. You know, I mean, half my graduating class from seminary were converts, including myself. Mm. This, I don't know if that's ever happened before. If it did, the last time it happened would have been when Synod was founded. Right. When those guys were pretty much all, as it were, converts to confessional Lutheran. Right. Right. Well, that's in a sense that's encouraging then that there's that much influx. Right. Because we need we need soldiers. Right. Bad. Uh, I keep praying for that in in every every avenue. Um, okay, curveball. Uh, so, what's your least favorite class you're teaching right now? <laughs> uh, well, I have a reduced load because I'm just starting, and so they man, they're, they're nice going easy on isn't you, isn't it? Isn't it? You're writing um, a book in your spare time then? Doing something that? valuable? You're going to write a book in your spare time or something? Well, I'm trying to get the dissertation published. There you go. That day. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, right. yeah. You told me what it was once. Yeah. Uh, Say it's, it again. It's, it's Paul telling people to imitate him. That's right. Yeah. What does he mean? And yeah. my, my whole my whole thing with that... Uh, I, I mean, Thomas A. Kempis already did it, so I don't know why. Well, it's it's not this like abstract imitation of Christ. It's, one, it's, a, it's a human being saying, I know how to live like a Christian... I showed you. Right. Go ahead and do that now. Right. Right. And if you need somebody to remind you, I'll send Timothy because he knows how to do this. And so why, you know. I remember you talking about this and, and the, the idea of the symbolism of the pastor as man uh, really struck me in this, that, that there's – it's headship too. I mean it's what the father it, does. It is headship. And yeah. it's, it's fourth commandment, right? It's, it's yeah. created uh, imitation. Fathers right? in the spirit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just native. Yeah, Luther's language in large catechism, there's fathers in the spirit, there's fathers in the blood. Yeah. Um, okay. Are fathers but that has nothing to do with your least favorite class you're teaching. So what's your least well, favorite my le class? My least favorite class right now is Pauline Epistles. Interesting. Not, Why? Not obviously because of the subject matter. You clearly don't like the Bible. Mm. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> it's because it's because it's because I'm I'm a lazy human being. That's why I think about discipline. Mm. I'm lazy, and I have to re. I'm trying to reorient the students to start thinking about Paul as a missionary who's trying to build up something hmm. rather than a source for ideas to yeah. understand that the theology that he expresses, especially in Romans is both true and edifying 
and that he's saying what he's saying in specific circumstances, says what he says to the Romans, Corinthians respectively, in order to build up in those circumstances so that they can think about themselves as somebody engaged in the practice of theology, the practice of building up, the practice of encouraging, the practice of rebuking, whatever it needs, whatever needs to happen, rather than just, I'm a person who's downloaded a certain amount of information from Professor Kuntz. Right, right. This is, again, where, like, I want, I, I'm totally happy with me, my ideas, my stuff. Right. To be no, eclipsed. And the reason the it teach does, the test stuff. The it, reason it does not matter, the reason I don't matter, my words don't matter, the reason only the building matters is because the activity that we're engaged in is the building up of the body. It is not a sort of passing along of certain ideas. Right. And the whole model within a Germanic educational system, such as the LCMS was designed to have is the adulation of the person who has a certain set of ideas and a certain amount of knowledge. And, uh, I do, I do not, I do not want that. So, I, I, I follow so what you just so said a, there. There's a, there's a reorientation yeah. that I'm doing, and I can tell it every time, because this is my first year as a professor, I can tell it every time I talk to a group that has never heard me before, mm. and they're like, why are you talking about how to preach sermons? This is a class about the doctrine of justification in Romans right, 3. Right, right, right. So if you just, like, would shout at them and throw your hands up and then reference New York in some way... <laughs> <laughs> and then continue on with what you well, want to talk another, about anyway. Another, reor- or a re- another reorientation that the students have to understand is that not all East Coast is New York. Yeah, it's true. And so Mid-Atlantic Pennsylvania is its own. That's is true. It's own much kinder, yeah. much kinder thing. Um, <laughs> the words I'm going to, I'm going to counter just a touch. I yeah. fully agree with what um, your concern about the adulation is, but there's a point at which, like, like my words can pass away because they're not my words anymore. Right. When it when it comes to right. you know a book that I would write that I hope is around, yeah. I honestly don't care if that book's around. Right. I hope someone takes that book and writes another book that does what it needs to do in right. that time right. as needed. Right. Because those those words are eternal, and it is in being. Uh, I'm going to use a, a – I'm trying to coin a term. In being confused with them, like, right. like fused with them, right. uh, that the building gets done, right. that we can say, you know, I'm but a worthless servant. It's all been God's grace. And yet at the same time, my discipline, my running the race yeah. matters right. because part of the grace is awakening me to experience the – what? Tr- uh, the the, um, the transcendent gift that is uh, – being a coworker in the gospel, right? right? Exactly. Um, so the re- I mean, yeah. the, the reason that I went into being a pastor instead of, um, you know, hedge funds or um, lawyering or any number of other things that I could have done with my life is because I wanted to get up on a daily basis and know that I was doing something that was eternally worthwhile. And as a Christian, it's kind of obvious what is eternally worthwhile. Right. In the same sense that raising my children is of such obvious value that I don't really have to, like, think about whether or not, like, I, I never have to sit there existentially late at night and think, like, is this really, you know. And Was it worth having that last right, one? Yeah. Right, right. Never. Yeah. Never. There's a, there's something self-evidently beautiful and amazing about human life. Hmm. I don't have to think about, uh, do I want another child? Do I wish I had four instead of six or something hmm. like that? And this, it's the same thing with proclaiming God's word. Yeah. The things that I'm saying are eternal in the sense that they are God's word. 
my stuff. The, the yeah, your spin on it doesn't matter. No, no, it yeah. really doesn't. And the sooner guys figure that out, the preaching will get a lot better. <laughs> Stop spending so That's much time true. trying to be clever. Yeah. Um, and uh, to emphasize, though, you know, the 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 non ordained Christian participates in the same reality, has the same transcendent God, gifting them the works before them. Right. Uh, which are ultimately about the blood of Jesus in they, their world, they in have their to life. Use, they have to use the gifts that they have and the things of this world. They have to plunder the Egyptians in this way. Yeah, They have to take what the Egyptians offer them uh, and the gifts that God has given them and use them for the building up of the body of Christ. I could use a talent for talking in lots of ways in life. Yep, yep. I use it for preaching God's word. I'm no different in that way than somebody who, you know manages hedge funds or is a farmer Mm. uh use your gifts for the building up of the body of christ yeah hey if you manage hedge funds i'd like to hear from you yeah right (laughs) (laughs) i have a few a few projects i'd like to have uh very senate could use an angel investor covered yeah rest right (laughs) i wouldn't want to put it into the senate man that just that'd be that'd just go under uh i got do have some ideas but um I see. I, it's probably we've gone on long enough yeah. in terms of your time. You've been very gracious. I've I've enjoyed this a great deal. Uh, we're here at the Concordia Theological Seminary annual symposia series. That's why I'm yes, here. Um, you uh, you're given a paper tomorrow talking on about, talking about wrath. Wrath. God's wrath is absolutely. Uh, you have to know what it is and accept its existence in, in order to understand why Jesus had to be crucified. Right. Oh man, do you see that bit about somebody in the LCMS has a webpage where for universalism popped up? Oh no, it's anonymous. Oh no, it's a, I don't even know. I don't think I don't think it's a pastor, but it's just like really, really, yeah. like there's a million places for you, right? And this is not it, right? Man, right. come on, this is not it. Jeez, yeah, we're interested in the blood of Christ here. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that that is the truth. Oh, I, I want to tell that. No, I don't want to tell that story. I do want to tell that story. I'll tell you afterwards. Adam, rock on. There's more. Right, 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 right. No doubt the facts have been exaggerated. Yes. Namely, you know about the unsettling, unstoppable force that's affecting the discourage and Well. City's inhabitants are losing their minds. Trigger warning. This ain't a safe space. Compulsory insanity. By going. Yes, completely, utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it bad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?